the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Sponsored by the Law Office of Robert Bergman. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning, trust, and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. This is Bob Bergman talking to you from his office in San Jose, California, in the Cambrian Park area of San Jose. I will be taking calls today if you'd like to call in. Uh, The number is 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. I want to let you all know that I do have uh, Living Trust Seminars coming up on August 10th, which is Saturday, August 10th. My first seminar at 9 o'clock is already completely filled, but there still is space available in my second seminar that day, which starts at 12 o'clock noon. Uh, 12 to about 1.45 in the afternoon. So for those of you who are late risers or like to do things in the morning, this is a great opportunity to come learn about living trust planning, why we do it, what the advantages are, and and maybe a few of the disadvantages as well. I believe in presenting a a fair fair both sides of why to do it, why not to do it. But if you're interested in registering, you can go to eventbrite.com. Dot com and search for Living Trust Seminar on August 10th, and you will find me there. I have not put up my seminars that will be coming either later in August or in uh, September, but you can always go back to Eventbrite at any time and search for the Living Trust Seminar, and you'll be able to see when my upcoming seminars um, are available. You can also go to my website at lawbob, L-A-W-B-O-B dot com, and search there to see when upcoming seminars are available. There's also a little calendar there that you can click on a date and it will take you straight to Eventbrite so that you can register for a seminar. Now, those of you who are listening last Friday know that um, I was about to send my children off to camp for the week, and I can hardly wait to pick them up tomorrow morning. My wife and I have decided we are going to get uh, get to the camp <clears throat> at about 7 a.m. We want to make sure we get a place to park and uh, and we want to make sure we're right there when they come out. I can tell you that um, this is the longest time that my daughters have been away from home and my wife and I have been suffering a little bit of that empty nest syndrome that uh, parents do suffer when their children move out, at least most parents. Um, I didn't think I was going to feel any of this until they were older than they are, but now that I've gotten through this, I think I could probably handle them going back next summer, the next few summers, going back to this camp. Hopefully they had a great time, and when we pick them up, 
They'll be just filled with all the things they want to tell us about what they did at camp during this past week. <clears throat> now, I'm going to go back to my usual format, which is to go through questions and comments from around the state of California. Um, I will let you know that uh, I'm going to be talking a little bit uh, on the show today about the petitions that I do in court because I'm finding there is more and more need for those petitions throughout the state and even here in the Bay Area, including one that that I just came across from a few days ago, a question from a few days ago that uh, highlights the issue very nicely. So let's see, looking at some questions and comments. Okay, here this person says, we gave a lawyer a retainer to begin probate proceedings. The administrator, a family member, that's the person appointed by the court, by the way, to handle a probate where there is no will. The administrator could not be bonded, so the lawyer sent us forms to sign nominating a professional fiduciary to be the administrator. Now, one thing in probate, when you go into the probate court handling a probate, typically you have to put up a bond, what's called a surety bond, in order to ensure that whoever is handling the estate, whether it's the administrator, if there's no will, or executor, if there is a will, to have basically a fund available so that if that person um, confiscates property or runs off with property of the estate, the surety bond is supposed to come in and cover those losses to the estate. So if someone can't be bonded, that means that they likely have something in their past, either they're they have uh, bankruptcy, recent bankruptcy. Maybe they have a um, a uh, criminal record. Uh, some many things could cause you to not be bonded. In this case, what they're asking is, since now there's a professional fiduciary as the administrator, does the lawyer still work for us, the family, or does the lawyer work for the fiduciary now? Well, the lawyer is always working for the fiduciary. That's the person appointed by the court. Um, the war lawyer in a probate is not working for the family other than kind of indirectly because maybe there's a family member that's acting as the administrator or executor. But the, the probate lawyer, and this is speaking as a probate lawyer, although I'm getting out of the probate work now, um, the probate lawyer represents the executor administrator, not the heirs of the estate. So that means that um, if you're an heir to an estate, don't expect the probate lawyer representing the fiduciary to answer questions for you because they are not your lawyer. If you have any concerns or you want to get advice about what's going on or what should happen, then you need to engage your own legal counsel for that advice. Don't expect the lawyer for the executor administrator to be answering questions for you. I, I think it would be a bad practice for them to do that, except in kind of generally talking to the family at the beginning of the probate about what the process is going to be. But getting into specifics, absolutely not. So here's someone asking, uh, my sister is the trustee of the family trust. Can she pay her husband for helping around the house? She wants to pay her husband because he's done some work on the house for us so we can sell it. Well, the answer is yes, she can. Uh, it should be all above board. The family should know just what she's proposing to pay her husband. 
and what she's proposing to pay should be commensurate with what you'd expect to pay to have an independent third party, as a tradesperson or someone else, actually do the work. Uh, that should be broken down by hours. It should be broken down by uh, what is the rate per hour, and it cannot be a ridiculously high amount if someone's just doing kind of handyman work around the house in order to fix it up to get it ready to be sold. So here, okay, now, in a probate case in California where there's not a will, when does the inventory and appraisal have to be done? Person says they're the beneficiary of an intestate probate estate. The sister's an administrator, but we're estranged. Letters were issued in at the end of March. House was sold last month, trying to understand the process. An inventory appraisal does have to be filed um, before an estate can be closed out, but it does not have to be filed before property can be sold. All that really happens is that the inventory and appraisal fixes the value of the property at the time of death of the person, and then if the property is subsequently sold for more or less than that inventory amount, then the fact that it was sold for more or less is reported at the very end of the whole probate process um, as either a gain or a loss on the sale of the property. Okay, so we're coming up on the end of the first segment today. I thought I just want to let you know you can call today, 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. I will be taking questions today if you'd like to call in. You could also email me at radio at lawbob.com, L-A-W-B-O-B dot com. And I'm happy to um, answer questions that come through there as well. So um, after this commercial break, we'll be coming back for more Plan Your Estate Radio. This is your host, Attorney Bob Bergman from San Jose. Talk with you after the break. This is Plan Your State Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back. I'm going to, um, in the second segment, I'm going to cover an issue that I find comes up very, very frequently. In fact, it comes up so frequently that I um, am regularly marketing to um, attorneys and also to title and escrow companies throughout the state of California um, with the, um, the way that I have of dealing with this issue that is very, very direct, quick, and efficient and can solve a lot of problems for a family. Here's a person that um, a few days ago posted a request for information uh, about a property that they were buying in the San Francisco Bay Area, said they bid on a house and the bid was accepted by the seller after money was put into escrow. And here I'm going to point out what I'm about to say is something that should have been known before the property was even put on the market to sell. After the escrow was open, after the bid was accepted by the seller, 
the seller and who is the trustee of a trust because someone had died, realized that the now deceased owner of the property, her mother, had forgotten to transfer the title of the property back into the name of the trust after she had refinanced earlier. I'm going to tell you right now, that is probably the most common reason throughout the state of California why real estate is not in somebody's living trust when they die, which requires some kind of legal action to be taken to get it into their trust. They take the property out for a refinance. They do that not because they want to, but because the lender requires them to. I don't know why, but many lenders, especially major banks, major commercial banks, they require that. And then they forget to put the property back into the title of the trust after the refinance is completed. So, as the person says here, as a result, the seller needs to file a court petition to get the property transferred back into the name of the trust. The seller's gracious, has offered to compensate me for any incidental expenses, but has said I'll need to wait 60 to 90 days before a court date can be granted. Is this common? <laughs> yes, it is. Um, I, I have probably done just this year three or four petitions like this to clear the title of property that was already sold and in escrow. And uh, in one case, I saved an escrow in a few days that was about to have the buyer's loan commitment expire. And uh, last year, I saved an escrow that was set to close in about a week actually in about 10 days, and I had, uh, I solved the problem in seven days, and they were able to close. This idea about waiting three months or more, let me talk about, this is what's called a Hegstat petition. It's a petition to go to court to confirm or affirm that assets owned by someone when they died are, in fact, assets of their trust um, so that the court can sign an order saying, take that property turn it over to the trustee of the trust without going through the entire probate process. Now, I bring this up because this is here in the Bay Area. And uh, and I do this kind of thing for um, people and for clients of attorneys and for uh, clients of escrow companies that have these properties in escrow. I do this for, for properties throughout the state of California. I can, as long as all the people who are involved in the trust consent and as long as they all agree that this property should be in the trust and as long as we have sufficient written evidence of intent that the trustor, the creator of the trust, intended that property to be in the trust, in this case right here where mom had it in the trust, took it out to refinance, clearly she didn't intend for it to be outside of the trust when she died. But that's what happened. Well, in a case like that, I can actually go to court without waiting for hearing dates. I can do what's called an ex parte petition. Ex parte means no formal notice of any kind is necessary. And I can literally walk in with a petition, present it to the judge. The judge signs an order and I walk out with a signed order that can then be taken to the title company and recorded um, by the title company to clear the title so that the sale can actually go through. 
So uh, in this case, I actually, in the last break when I saw this, I went back and I responded back to the person asking about this and suggested to them that they visit my website, hegstathelp.com. That's H-E-G-G-S-T-A-D, help, H-E-L-P, all one word, hegstathelp.com, where I explain this whole process and explain how I actually get that job done quickly and efficiently without waiting for months. In some parts of the state, I'm looking at you, Los Angeles, I'm looking at you, Orange County, you're looking at six to eight months to have a noticed hearing actually heard in the probate courts there to clear this problem. So if this property was in Southern California, they'd really be out of luck. Um, It would be months and months and months before they could clear the title. Here in the Bay Area, uh, there are a couple of courts where it can be done very quickly. Uh, One of them, it's only if your property is in that county or the trustees in that county. That's where the trustee lives and, and conducts business acting as the trustee, that is. And then there's another county that will entertain these kind of matters from anywhere in the state. So if you're listening right now and you're going, my gosh, that's a situation that we're facing right now. I don't care where you are in California. As long as the family is all together on, we need to get this property into the trust, give me a call, 408-247-0444. Or email me at radio at lawbob.com or visit hegstathelp.com and read about it there and follow the instructions there to book a consultation with me. I help people all over the state with this, and it's one of the things I'm very proud of. As far as I know, I'm the only attorney maybe in the entire state that's doing this on a regular basis for people. It's one of the reasons why I have title companies calling me. It's one of the reasons why I have attorneys throughout the state, especially in Southern California, who just pick up the phone and call me when a situation like this comes into their law practice. So it's a very serious situation, but hope is there. There's hope to get it done quickly and efficiently without losing months and months of time and without losing the sale of the property, because that's the other downside is... uh, you could end up actually losing the sale of the property. And, uh, and and so part of my job as an attorney is to prevent that from happening. One last question before we come up on the mid-show break. Someone says they're handwriting a codicil to their will, removing one of their children. Is it best to have witnesses and are being notarized? I would say if you're going to handwrite it all in your own handwriting, go ahead and have it witnessed as well. Um, that kind of makes it very, very clear that someone else was involved and they saw that you actually signed that codicil in their presence. That's going to be stronger than just writing it on your own. So um, after the break, we'll come back with more questions and comments from around the state of California. Until then, this is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. Talk with you after the break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. Got some more questions and comments from around the state of California. And uh, I kind of look ahead to see what I have coming up. And there's some pretty interesting ones in here that 
I think uh, you might very well find uh, some of them to be interesting. At least I find them interesting. It's part of my job to find those things interesting. But <laughs> but still, let's see if you do as well. Now, here's a um, person said, My parents listed their IRA as part of their trust but never changed title to the IRA and listed me as the beneficiary. They both since died, and the other beneficiaries are claiming the IRA should belong to the trust and should not have gone to me alone. Who wins? I've already spent the money from the IRA and can't afford an attorney. Well, let's talk about this. Listing an IRA as part of the trust, um, you, you would not change title. First of all, you wouldn't list an IRA as part of a trust while someone's alive. You can identify that maybe the IRA is going to be paid to the trust by identifying the trust as the beneficiary of the IRA. But if there's an actual named beneficiary on the IRA, then that's who gets the IRA. Um, that's how kind of how the rules work. Just because someone said, our IRA is in our trust, that doesn't put it in their trust because IRAs pass outside of probate if there's a named beneficiary, and they pass to the named beneficiary on the IRA. You'll find the same thing with life insurance. If you have a bank account or a brokerage account that says pay on death to little Johnny, the fact that you list it on a schedule of assets as being owned by your trust doesn't really do the job. You either have to retitle it in the name of the trust or you have to designate the trust as the beneficiary. In the case of an IRA, you can't retitle it in the name of the trust because that would trigger a 100% distribution of the IRA and all the taxes would be owing in that year. So in this case, the person named on the IRA, it's theirs. Now, the fact that they spent all the money, that's problematic because that means that they now have income tax they're going to owe on whatever was in that IRA. And hopefully it wasn't a huge amount. If it was, they're going to find that they have a pretty hefty tax bill for the state and federal uh, income taxes for the tax year where they took the money and they spent it all. One of the drawbacks of uh, naming someone as the beneficiary of an IRA who apparently is financially not very savvy and just spent all the money. Now, here's a person who says, I have the certificate of title of a mobile home, which I purchased, and it's recorded in my name. The person who sold me the home has passed and have a trust with himself as trustee with the mobile home still listed. Is the mobile mine? Answer, of course it is. You bought it. Just because someone has listed an asset as part of their trust doesn't mean that they still own it anymore. Um, that's very, very common. Schedule of assets is put together when someone sets up a trust. They list their residence. They maybe list a car. They list certain bank accounts. They die 20 years later. In the meantime, the residence was sold. There's a new residence. The bank accounts were closed. There's new bank accounts. The cars were sold. There's new cars. The fact that they're listed on a schedule of assets is just evidence of intention that they be owned by somebody's trust, but not absolute proof that those assets are, in fact, owned by somebody's trust. I tell people that they should keep their schedule of assets updated and uh, to reflect changes in what they own. In that case, if they sold the mobile home, they should take it off of their schedule of assets to show that they don't own that anymore 
The fact that it still is on a schedule of assets doesn't mean it's owned by the trust if, in fact, the property was, in this case, the mobile home was already sold. Now, here's a, here is a Medi-Cal question. Medi-Cal is the Medicaid program as administered in the state of California, generally used for people who need assistance to pay for the cost of a nursing home, um, but it's broader than that now. In this case, says mom is 87, her husband's in permanent long-term care for dementia, all covered by Medi-Cal. There is a revocable family trust. We were told as long as mom is in the home, Medi-Cal cannot recapture the estate. However, what happens if mom also needs long-term care covered by Medi-Cal? Can Medi-Cal recapture the estate? Meaning, can they come back and claim monies from the estate after mom dies for monies paid out for Medi-Cal? Do we need to replace the revocable trust with an irrevocable trust in my brother's and my name? This is what we were told. We were also told the revocable trust protects the estate no matter what. Well, you know what? Because of changes in California law, a personal residence owned in a revocable trust or an irrevocable trust, for that matter, is not subject to recapture or recovery by the state for monies paid out for Medi-Cal. Now, you have to otherwise qualify for Medi-Cal, but well, this change in the law has meant that many, many families where where a parent just has their personal residence and maybe has nothing else but a Social Security check coming in, if that residence is put into the ownership of a living trust, even a simple living trust, even a crummy living trust from one of those do-it-yourself books or do-it-yourself online services, it will not be subject to recovery when the person dies if they got Medi-Cal benefits. That's just one of the things that was a change in the law. It's a huge change in the law, and it means that many, many families are not looking at the loss of a family home just because it's the only asset um, that is available when a parent passes away after receiving Medi-Cal benefits. So that is a huge change in the law <clears throat> that I think more people need to know about. I'm letting you all know out there, if all you have is a residence here in the Bay Area and very little money in the bank, at the minimum, you need to put that residence into a living trust. If you anticipate that you ever may need to go into a nursing home, you've got to do that now while you're still healthy. Don't, it can't be done after you go into the nursing home. It's kind of too late then. Do it beforehand. Even if you do kind of a crummy living trust, it will still work. Now, I think you should try to do a much better living trust. that takes care of everything the family might need, as well as also do a power of attorney, an advanced health care directive, and some other things that are part of an estate plan. But this is a quick, down-and-dirty uh, you know, get a trust in place, transfer the title in, and you can now protect it from Medi-Cal recovery. So here's someone, they created their trust here in California just to hold real property. Now the real property's been sold. Person says they're the only trustee. The money for the sale was put into an account owned by the trust, open for that reason only, and then the money was taken out of that account, put into a personal savings account. Now, I attempted to record a document revoking the trust, but there's no record of it. Does that mean the trust is null and void? 
Well, let me explain a little bit, bit of things about trusts. Trusts are like um, boxes that you put assets into. And the fact of the matter is a trust of any kind that doesn't own anything effectively doesn't exist at all because a trust without property in it is meaningless. So if this person actually sold the property and then took the cash out of the trust and there's literally nothing owned by the trust anymore, then the trust really doesn't exist anymore. Um, that might change if the person died and they still had a will in, in effect called a pour-over will, the pour-over will being one that directs assets to be turned over to somebody's trust. Uh, if they still had that money in the bank and other property and then died, <clears throat> then the pour-over will could have probably effectively revive that trust that had nothing in it because now there's a place to put things um, using the pour-over will. And that could even be done using that HEGSAT petition that I talked about earlier in the show today. Okay, here's someone uh, out of Long Beach, California. It says, Mom passed March 20, 2019. I was told a trust was left, and I've never received a copy. Now, let's see, March, April, May, June, July. Four months. Whoever the trustee is should have already sent out a notice to all the beneficiaries of the trust under probate code 16061.7 that informs them that the person's died and either gives them or offers to provide a copy of the terms of the trust to all of those beneficiaries. And in this case, if the person hasn't received a copy yet, then whoever's the trustee is, is not following through with the law. They may not actually even have legal counsel advising them. So this person, I would tell them, if you haven't gotten the trust, send a letter to the trustee demanding a copy of the trust under 1606 1.7 of the probate code um, and, and insist that they be provided with a copy because the law requires that a copy has to be provided to that person. Now here, I'm going to raise this question and do a setup for the final segment of the show today. This person said they made an irrevocable trust soon after the uh, first wife died with two sons as beneficiaries and older son as trustee. Now that I remarried, I want my current wife to be the trustee. Also, my sons will still be the beneficiaries, but I would like to add a clause that would allow my second wife to live in the house after I'm deceased. Can this be done? Well, when we come back after the break... I'll talk about another type of petition that can be used or another part of the probate code that could be used to actually take care of this issue. But until then, you're just going to have to wait through the commercials until I come back and give you the answer to that dilemma that's being faced by this person um, out of Los Angeles, by the way. So until after the break, this is attorney Bob Bergman. Talk with you then. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back for the final segment of our show today. Uh, before the break, I was talking about a situation where a person indicated they made an irrevocable trust after their first spouse died. 
with two sons as beneficiaries and older son as trustee. This person's now remarried and wants his current spouse to be the trustee. Uh, sons still be the beneficiaries of the house that's in the irrevocable trust. But would like to add a clause or an addendum that will allow the second wife to live in the house after this person is deceased. Well, the short answer to this is there is actually a section of the law, probate code section 15404, 1000 or 15404, that provides that in the case of an irrevocable trust, if the trustor, who's the creator of the trust, and all of the beneficiaries agree, um, they can modify the terms of the trust. Actually, it's if all the beneficiaries agree, they can modify the terms of an irrevocable trust, even, um, well, actually, the trustor and the beneficiaries, um, they can modify the terms of the trust by agreement. Now, the real issue, though, here is that will these sons be willing to agree to have their stepmother be the trustee, number one, and will they agree that their stepmother gets to live in the house after their dad passes away? Um, it's not real clear from, from this whether or not this irrevocable trust actually owns the house that dad lives in. Um, talking about allowing his second wife to live in the house suggests that he is living in the house now, even though the trust provides that his sons are the beneficiaries. So the answer is, short answer is, under 15404 of the probate code, uh, this dad with his son's agreement could make the modifications that he's requesting. At the same time, they can say, heck no, we don't want to modify that at all. And he's pretty much stuck if that's what um, what he wants to do. Now, here's uh, someone out of Thousand Palms, California. I've never been there. I assume that there's at least a thousand palm trees there. If you're from that area, maybe you could uh, email me at radio at lawbob. Let me know if that's the case or if it's just one of those fanciful names where they have uh, they had two or three palm trees and decided to call it a thousand. I don't really know. So uh, this person said, my good friend of 20 years recently gifted me with a deed to his home. My friend passed away this past Sunday, and I've discovered that the home was listed in his 2009 revocable living trust with himself as trustee. Am I, am I in for a battle with a beneficiary of the trust for ownership of the home, even if I have the deed? Well, this is similar to what I talked about earlier on the show. Just because something is listed in a trust as being owned by the trust doesn't mean that it was actually owned. What the more important issue is, is how was it titled? Was it actually titled in the trust name? And then the friend just gifted the house individually in his individual name to his friend. This could be kind of a little bit cloudy here. I think a strong argument could be made that if I own a, my own house as a trustee and I gift that property to um, to another person, in my individual name, I'm clearly showing evidence of my intent that that property not be in my trust, 
even though I didn't follow the formality of transferring it out of my trust, maybe to myself first, and then making the gift. I think, ultimately, um, the person who received the home by an actual deed from the friend uh, is entitled to the property, but it may take sorting things out with a title company um, because whether the title company will accept that as valid, that uh, that's really up to a title company. They may say, we need more than that. We need a court order confirming that or something along those lines. So hard to say how that one would actually turn out, but I think that the person who received the most recent transfer of the property is, in fact, the owner. Now here, one last thing before we end up today. This is a an Hegstat situation. Two trustees of a trust, there was a bank account that wasn't moved to the ownership of the trust, although the trust states including bank accounts. One trustee filed a Hegstat, but the other co-trustee doesn't agree because he's the beneficiary of the bank accounts. So I think there, if that's the case, if there's an actual named beneficiary of the bank accounts and that person doesn't agree with the Hegstat petition, I think the Hegstat petition's probably going to fail because even though it said, hey, I want my bank accounts in there, there's a named beneficiary. You'd likely need to get the, the consent of the named beneficiary to say, yeah, it should have actually been in the trust, and I agree with that. So that is all for today. Coming up on the end of the show, I'm looking forward to getting up early tomorrow morning for my wife and I to go pick up my kids from their week of camp. I hope they had a great time and want to go back next year, but I have missed them sorely this week. Um, house is a lot quieter when you don't have your kids around in there. As those of you who have kids, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. But until next week, this is attorney Bob Bergman. Hope you have a great weekend. I'm planning to myself, and we'll talk with you next week. Goodbye. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, where you'll also find information on his upcoming estate planning seminars. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.